You're listening to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm author and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, filmmaker and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about monster books. Wow, this is exciting. We love monsters. And we're interviewing yeah. author Cadwell Turnbull. Uh, but first, what are you reading, Bria? I started, I'm listening to um, a book that came out this year called The Conductors. Um, it's the first book in a series by Nicole Glover, and it's narrated <laughs> by Bonnie Turpin. And I hope I'm saying that right. Um, uh, but I know there's there's listeners to the show who are fans of uh, of her audiobook narration. So I thought I'd throw that in there because she's narrated other books I've listened to, and she's very good. Um, the Conductors is great. It is it combines, okay, you ready? His, history. Um, uh, cool female black protagonist. Um, uh, mystery. Um, basically, it's awesome. It's very fun. Um, it is, uh, and fantasy, and fantasy. It's a fantasy. It's a magic thing. So um, basically, um, this woman, Hetty Rhodes, um, she is a conductor for the Underground Railroad, um, and bas- and she helps people get escape with um because she's really smart, but also because of with magic, um, and 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 all these people have magic, and and now this is like kind of post Civil War, and it's her and her husband, and they're living um, north of the South. They're living, oh, in Philadelphia, and basically they're solving like murders and mysteries, and this guy shows up dead, and they have to figure out who killed him and why, and was magic involved, and it's awesome. It's like it's an interesting era that we don't see a ton of stuff written about like kind of right after post-world war but then also there's fantasy and magic stuff and then also it's like a cool protagonist and there's a mystery like so you're trying to figure out who killed this person and then things sort of kind of unfold from there but then you also get to see all this magic and how she uses her magic um it's awesome totally great it's getting a lot of buzz um and i and and the audiobook is great but also i'm sure the book if you just read it would be great um what are you reading mallory uh, funnily enough, I'm also reading a historical mystery, wow. um, but mine is not not magical. It's like a kind of kind of scary, not spooky, but kind of scary historical mystery. It's the Forest of Stolen Girls by June Her. Oh, I want to read this. And you should. It's really cool. It's definitely for people who like true crime, um, but also history stuff because it takes place in like it's wicked historical. It's like 1400s era uh, Korea. And um, it's about this young woman and her father. Um, it was her father is like one of the most famous detectives in Korea um, and uh, has like solved a bunch of cases. But there was like one case that he could never crack. And it kind of slightly involves his um, his two daughters, the main character and her sister. And now her dad has gone off to to try to take another crack at this mystery. And he's disappeared. So she's gone to this like little village where he went to um, investigate this mystery, which is that all these girls keep disappearing from this small village. And the only clue anyone ever had was that there's like a man in a white mask was seen near the scene. Um, So she she comes to this small town and she's trying to figure out this really scary mystery and find out where all these girls went and who's this man in a in a white mask. Um, but again, it's also like very historical. She does a great job um, of balancing the cool historical aspects, but also like it's one of those books where the mystery is so good. You just like I read it. I read this book in a single night. Like I couldn't put it down. I had to like I just had to know what was happening. Um, and it's really, really, really cool. Um, 
I, I highly recommend it. It's the so that's the Forest of Stolen Girls by June Her. And mine is The Conductors by Nicole Glover. <sighs> So we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. Uh, Gail Hermey wrote in, Dear Bria Reading and Mallory Glasses. <laughs> I love that. Um, I'm not sure if this is a book sin or a book tip, but what I do with the bookmarks fin so it doesn't get caught anywhere is fold it over the book. Well, describe this. What do you what do you think? What do you think they're saying? So, yeah, I wonder how much sticks. So so he takes the top of the book mark that's sticking out of the book and i want my question is i wonder how like if he's doing it with this like an inch sticking out or like he like has half the bookmark sticking out and he stick like folds it over i'm very interested in like how yeah, so much because folding it's very, is going on very here. long it's like a very long bookmark and so you have to do it or is this just for fun um, he says, now most of my bookmarks are not bought nor fancy, so I don't care too much about their lifespan, but I really like the wedges they get after a few books. Wow. Interesting. Inter a bookmark folder. I'm not, I'm going to say I agree with Gail Hanamere. I do not think this is a um, tip, but I don't think it's a sin. I think it's no, a... No, I definitely don't think it's a sin. If it's your it's bookmark, you do whatever the fuck you want with it. It's a If quirk. you want to fold it to make it better for you, go for it. Um, we used to ask people at the big when we first started the show if they had any like quirky bookish things that they do, and I think this falls into that category. Oh, it totally does. Yeah. This is definitely a book quirk, but I don't think it's a I don't think it's a book sin. They're really, I mean, if you listen to the show, you know there are very few book sins. Yeah. We are we are all about absolving guilt, and I don't think this is a sin. This is a very cool book quirk. So Madeline wrote in and said, I love the exploration of the thing that draws you into a book. I'm pretty even split between, I'm a pretty even split between language and character. I love a slice of life book or what I call a Seinfeld book. Content, but no plot. That's very funny. Uh, but my parents are setting, that's, that's uh, Madeline's mom, and plot, dad. And it totally affects how I recommend books to them. I've also used a similar system when doing reader's advisory. I'm a library assistant. Oh, hey. Uh, but it's nice to have a name for things now and proof that I was going in the right direction. Also, shout out to Novelist. I use it every day when I'm at work. It's so incredibly helpful. Um, as you recall, we had the person from Novelist on our show, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so here is... Madeline is a very long bookish wheelhouse. Mallory, I think you and I should, I'll read one and you read the other. That, we'll, okay. we'll split. I'll read odd, odds, mm -hmm. you read evens. Okay. Slice, slice of life slash quiet books. Books about books, fiction or non. Coming of age stories. Well done LGBTQ plus representation. Non-crime related Scandinavian fiction. <laughs> Anything said in the desert, any desert will do, but especially love the American Southwest. Shout out, me too. Um, fantasy with political leanings. Books where the author's passion for a subject makes me love it too. Oh yeah, that sounds like a good like microhistory. Um, magic that follows the rules it sets up. Mythology retellings. Books in cities I've lived in. A hyper-competent ship or spaceship captain taking his wacky crew slash found family on an adventure. <laughs> Uh, own voices, own voices, First Nations rep. Uh, Non-YA dystopian. When a high fantasy is revealed to be our distant future, or if it even has no effect on the story overall. Even if it has no effect on the story overall. Uh, anything about or set during the Spanish Civil War. <laughs> anything dealing with Paris and the Lost Generation. Uh, philosophical books dis disguised as fiction. Books with lyrical slash poetic descriptions of ethereal settings. 
a woman on a journey like Bria. What? what? Uh, and magical realism. Wow. You like a lot, lot of wheelhouse. Like- I love it. <laughs> a lot of buzzy uh, uh, reading glasses wheelhouse items in there. Um, so quick bookmark from me. I'm pretty excited. I am doing a book event. Um, if you are listening... If you're listening to this episode the day it comes out, um, tomorrow, Friday the 17th of September, I am going to be in conversation with the author and artist Brahm. Um, he has a new book that came out this week called Slewfoot. That's like, it's very much like The Witch. It is New England setting, um, feminist story with like lots of Satan-y, demon-y monster things going on with co- really cool illustrations. Uh, Copper Dog Books is putting it on. I'm going to be in conversation with Brom um, Friday night, the 17th at 7 p.m. Eastern time, 4 p.m. Pacific time. And we're going to be talking about New England and Puritans and witches and Satan and monsters and demons. And it's going to be really, really fun. Um, you can also get signed copies of my books um, from Copper Dog Books. So if you want to get a signed copy of Lady from the Black Lagoon, I sent them a bunch of book plates. Um, but I highly recommend joining us if you want to get in the spooky season spirit and watch me and Brom talk about things. I'm going to, uh, I'm, going to try to see if I can like find a Dunkin Donuts so I can get a nice coffee so I can be extra New Englandy when we talk about this New England book uh, but I'm excited I will put a link in the show notes uh, you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com if you want a list of all the books we talk about on the show delivered to your inbox every month you can sign up for our newsletter there's a link in the show notes before we talk about monster books we're going to take a quick break this episode is sponsored in part by Soylent Soylent The original food tech company makes delicious and nutritious nutrition products in convenient formats. Folks, you've listened to the show. You know I'm all about convenient formats when it comes to food. Until uh, we started getting sponsored by Soylent and I started drinking Soylent Complete Meals, I just wish that I could plug myself in like a phone at the end of the day. But now I don't have to feel that way. Um, Soylent has a bunch of different products and they're all super convenient and awesome. Uh, The one that I'm obsessed with and I have for breakfast basically every day is the Soylent Complete Meal. It's like this like little ready to drink shake. Uh, They come in powder formats, but if you get the shake, it's even quicker and easier because you don't have to mix anything. You just reach into the fridge and go. And it's awesome because it has 20 grams of plant-based protein, 39 essential nutrients, healthy fats, and 400 calories of slower burning carbs. One serving, super easy. I can drink it while I'm writing, drink it while I'm working. Uh, It's awesome. I used to be a huge breakfast skipper. I don't want to make food first thing in the morning, even if it's cereal. Uh, But the cool thing about Soylent is that I don't have to make anything and I actually can get the nutrients that I would get from a normal person breakfast. Um, They they have ones that are for energy, for more protein. They have uh, the Soylent squares, which are like little um, nutrient bars that are, I think they're only 100 calories, but they're they're really filling. They're really good. Um, But the complete meal is definitely my favorite. Um, They come in a bunch of different flavors, which is fantastic um i used to try to drink protein shakes and they're in protein bars from um from other companies and so many like meal replacement and and protein things just like taste like sidewalk chalk uh but without being as fun (laughs) and the soylent is actually really really good um the vanilla flavor is my favorite but the chocolate one is really good too they have some uh, the strawberry one is also really good but they have banana and mint and chai it's 
awesome. Uh, I use it for breakfast and sometimes for lunch, but you can really have it to replace any meal. It's so much better than skipping a meal. I highly recommend it if you are busy, if you are like me, you don't like cooking and you're way more apt to skip a meal than sit down and make one. You don't have to, especially if you are doing things that require your brain, which is everything. <laughs> it's nice to give it some fuel. Uh, that's that's why I, I love grabbing one of these before I start writing for the day. It's perfect. So if you want to try it out, which I highly recommend you do, you go to Soylent.com glasses and use code glasses to get 20% off your first order. That's 20% off your first order. That's pretty dang good. So go to Soylent.com glasses and code glasses for 20% off. Glasses. We have wasted this world. Our magic put a storm in the sky that has rendered the surface of our planet uninhabitable. But beneath the surface, well, that's another story entirely. In a city built leagues below the apocalypse, survivors of the storm forge paths through a strange new world. Some seek salvation for their homeland above. Others seek to chart the vast undersea expanse outside the city's walls. And others still seek, what else? Fortune and glory. Dive into the Ether Sea, the latest campaign from the Adventure Zone, every other Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week... Oh, wow. I am excited. We're talking about monster books, books that aren't necessarily scary, but have monsters in them. Uh, maybe they're wrecking cities. Maybe they're a big metaphor for something. Maybe they're falling in love with someone. Why do we love monsters? What are and what are different literary monsters that we love? So first, there's a, a whole category of books called monster literature, um, which we're kind of talking about. Monster literature is... Um, it's a very close Venn diagram with Gothic literature. Like if you put those two circles on top of each other, they'd almost be a circle. Um, and the the person they think of as the modern, the mother of modern monster literature is obviously Mary Shelley with Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. um, but modern literature um, and, and monster literature, pretty much it, what the way people define it is it has a monster who's tormenting the protagonist, right? So that's not exactly what we're talking about here because we're talking about things that sort of break that mold. Um, so it's not exactly monster literature. There's We're talking about humanizing monsters today and stuff like that. But um, And also, I mean, I don't want to leave out, you can go back for monster related books as far back as Beowulf, right? Like they, people, we've been yeah. thinking about monsters as humans for a very long time, which we will get into. Yeah, so we... I love a monster book, but Bria, tell me, do you love a monster book? What are your favorite monsters to read about? I know that if listeners have read Mary, which they should, that uh, you have a lot of thoughts about monsters. Yeah. Well, obviously, I like monsters in a modern day setting. I like that. And I, um, I was just talking about this, but I think my friend Jeff said this to me, actually. And then I think a listener wrote in with like a similar thing, but that I like things in our world, but a little different. So I love when it's our world, but then also there's monsters for some reason. Um. <laughs> And I kind of like really any kind of monsters. The other kind of monsters I'm really drawn to are ones that like emerge from the forest or ones that are like mythological and you have to go into the forest to see them. Like things that are like, they're kind of like out there, but we don't know too much about them. But like there's whole communities mm -hmm. that have theories about them or something like that. Like I love that kind of stuff too. Um, but 
the I mean, I like supernatural monsters, but I also would like totally read a book about a monster just like, how do I go to the grocery store? Like I love like like <laughs> like basic monster stuff, like very fish out of water monster stuff. Um I don't know if I've ever read a monster going to a grocery store, but I would read that about that monster's problems. Um, and I like taking. <laughs> I'm like, a huge monster, but I can't open this yogurt yeah, with my huge claws. My, my claw. I keep like just ripping it apart. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think I like getting into something I always like, which is like taking something we always thought was bad, like a monster, and putting them at the center and being like, is it bad? Like, or like, aren't, mm-hmm. let's, what's going to this monster psyche? Like, and maybe they are really horrible. I don't know, but I want to like explore it more than like taking it on a, um, on its face value. But I also mm-hmm. will like an, an old school monster book, like some monster emerges from the forest every five years to eat little children or something. That's also cool. <laughs> um, what about you? What are your favorite monsters to read about? Um, so it comes, comes as no surprise. I fucking love a monster book. Okay. I am, uh, we know, uh, <laughs> big obsessive of monsters really anything um you you know that werewolves are my tippity top favorite um i'll read almost any werewolf book especially if it has lady werewolves like that's really all i need is just say the, the uh, my friend maggie takuda hall uh wrote a comic we're actually gonna have maggie on the show next month but uh, uh called squad that was all about female teenage girl werewolves and uh Maggie asked me if I wanted to read the book and I was like, that's all you need to tell me. Yeah. It's like girl werewolves that are girls. That's all I really need. Um, I, I love werewolves because there's such a great representation of like all the things we don't talk about all the taboo things. And there's so many different werewolf stories that are ta- that explore different types of taboos. Um, they're also just like cool as hell. Like I just think werewolves are cool, but I will take anything. Uh, I think all monsters are cool. Uh, I will read a book about a giant monster, lizard monsters, hairy monsters, sexy monsters. Doesn't matter. I will read it. Um, I love it so much. Um, so, but so we we know we love monster books, but why are monster book po- or why are monster books popular in general? Why do we think people like monster books? Well, I mean, like if we back up a little bit, I think horror usually comes down to like us kind of dealing with things, dealing with things either we don't want to deal with, things that we do want to deal with, or dealing with just things that are scaring us like around us, right? I think like, uh, yeah, and monsters are representative of this. So so they could be like they, people, like for, um, for a long time in literature and in media, monsters were representative sort of like an other, right? Um, mm-hmm. But then also um, they can be representative of our dark impulses. They can be... Things that just are sort of like, oh, this is the thing that's making noises at night and scaring you at night. Um, the things that you can't explain. Um, but there, I'm actually going to link to an article in our show notes um, about the way not monsters have kind of, we look back and we go, oh, that was probably because people were dealing with this. Like, I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember, um, there was a time in early, in 2000, the like mid-aughts, that there were so many zombie things and like so many zombie things. I wrote a zombie novel. I, I'm a zombie comic. I was part of this world, and people were like, "Oh, we're so tired of zombies." But I feel like people were interested in zombies at that time because of the rise of social media and the rise of um of the internet, and it felt like people were moving in hordes. And I feel like that was like sort yes. of why, and we were kind of like all trying to like work through that. And I don't. I think it's a very healthy thing to do. So I think depending on the monster, we're sort of just fascinated what it means to have something supernatural like take the form of something we're dealing with we're scared with of we're not scared of like you know like all there's all sorts of like ways i think that there's something very psychological about 
monsters and why we are fascinated with them and why we continue like in the as far back as we can look at literature we see monsters and then today we still meet sea monsters like there's obviously a reason Uh we need this outlet to deal with uh um, stuff. Maybe my whole thing where I want to see a monster go to the supermarket market is like me being scared of the supermarket. I don't know. But like, you know, I don't know if it's always like so explainable, <laughs> but I think there are, um, uh, you know, many ways to explain it. And I think some sometimes like there's many times you can look back and be like, oh, it was xenophobia that was making us look at monsters or, oh, it was, uh, you know, women in the workplace that was making us look at monsters. Like there's there's all sorts of like reasons. And I think that is just a fascinating thing to look at as far as human psyches go um oh i totally agree and and what about you why do you why do you think people like monster books because they're cool (laughs) Uh, i i i it sounds like i'm joking but i'm not like i seriously i think people are naturally fascinated by monsters because anything that's outside of normal society we are fascinated with uh it's the same impulse even if they're scary, it's the same impulse that like, we want to look at the bloody thing that's happening, even though we don't, this part of us that is afraid of it. Like we want to know we are naturally as animals fascinated by something. And that's outside of whatever is our normal world, you know, and if they have big, cool teeth and claws, you know, all the better. Um, I just, just the existence of one makes for a great story. Um, because you just, as soon as you see something that is a monster, like monster, by, uh, a monster by definition is something that is outside of our normal, you know, whatever that is that the, um, you can trace that all the way back to like, you're saying Beowulf, um, G- Greek myths, Roman myths, um, ancient, uh, African myths, ancient, um, Chinese, Japanese, Native American, where, where, like, doesn't matter where you are in the world, there are monster myths and all the monsters are different. Um, uh, you know, you can, you, as soon as we see something like that, we want to know where did it come from? Is it going to eat me? Like, like, how did it come to be? You know, and if you add people fighting it or dealing with it or falling in love with it, you know, you've got a great plot. It just like immediately makes for, at least for me. And I think a lot of people, uh, just makes for a great story. You know, you want to know what's going on with them. Um, and they're just cool. Uh, so what about monster books that aren't horror? You know, we're talking about, um, some scary stuff, but as you were saying, like monsters going to the grocery store, like, have you ever read books like that? Do you want to read books like that? Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, send them to the grocery store. Like what, what, what section do they go to first? Frozen foods? They must. <laughs> Frozen goods. Uh, but no, I mean, yes, I think there's so much room for modern storytelling where there are monsters. And I love when literary fiction, like puts a monster alongside, the real world or the modern world or, um, you know, it's just a monster happens to live in this world. Um, and I will say, like, we're about to interview Cadwell Turnbull and his new book. It's not, I mean, there's scary parts in it uh, or things that are like, there's definitely like things that are scary, but I would say it is more like a literary fiction book that has monsters and is dealing with like, the, and I, this is not a spoiler. Um, the book opens with um, a police shooting and, but but in the video footage that's released, there the before the police shoots the person, they're a werewolf, um, mm-hmm. and then they shoot them and they turn into like a, a regular person, a black person, and um uh and uh that it so it's this interesting way of like dealing with monsters, but in modern day and like what would that look like and how would people deal with it. 
And it's fascinating to watch him go through and see how people deal with it when they are like, I didn't see that. And they justify not not believing in monsters in modern day. It's a great take on like the modern on monsters in modern day. Like I people got to pick up this book. They'll hear me. You'll hear me talk to him about how much I loved it. So um, I won't go about it too much more. But what about you? You you love obviously horror books that are monstery. Yes, but also some of my favorite monster books are totally not scary at all. They're just like straight up literary fiction. Um, the Minotaur Takes a Cigarette Break by Stephen Sherrill, um, Miss Caliban by Rachel Ingalls, uh, The Essex Serpent by Sarah Perry. Uh, there's so many great ones. I think it's because monsters are such great metaphors. It's such a great way to explore parts of ourselves. And I think that's why monsters are so enduring. Like Frankenstein, obviously, Mary Shelley is a fucking genius. But the reason why we all love Frankenstein is because there's always been this definitely a point in your life at some point where you felt like Frankenstein's monster, you know, and like you're reading it the whole time and he's this scary monster and you're like, oh God, he's going to throw this little girl into the lake. Um, But at the same time, you're like, man, he just like wants someone to hug him. Like he just wants a friend. And we've all felt like that. Uh, I talk about it in Lady from the Black Lagoon, where when I watched Creature from the Black Lagoon, I was like watching it and thinking as, as the creature swimming underneath uh, Kay, the, the, the female lead, it's like, I felt like that when I was in high school, you know, like watching hot people go by, like, I get it. You know, it's a great way to explore the dark parts of yourself. Um, and it's just a great way to, to reflect society. Um, Mrs. Caliban, it's a very, very short book. It came out decades ago. It's about this lonely woman and she falls, she's just like this housewife who's just like unhappy with her life. And she falls in love with this fish man that has escaped from this nearby government facility. It came out way, way before Shape of Water and they hmm. actually reissued it and gave it a new cover when Shape of Water came out because so many people were like, oh my God. It's just like shape of water. Um, but really the fish man becomes like the symbol for everything she thinks is wrong with her life. And it's such an interesting in a non-horror way, even though like the monster is a huge part of the story to explore, um, you know, her unhappiness and domestic unhappiness. And the monster just adds so much to the book, um, while also being cool as shit. Um, so what, what monsters do you want to read more about? What do you think there should be more books about monster wise? I don't know. I mean, I think, I think, I think these modern monsters are cool. I think like humanizing, like getting inside the monster brain is cool, but I don't know. I'm I'm always here for, you know, a small town with a monster secret. I, I mean, I'm here with, I'm here for like, I mean, I think I just, we weren't, we're never going to run out of interest in monsters, you know? No. Oh, a hundred percent. Totally agree. Um, you know, I want more female whale, female werewolf books. Sure. Yes. I just, I just can't, I, I don't think we can get enough of them. I, I, I want more, especially I know, I don't think we have enough female werewolf movies. There's never been a female werewolf movie that's been directed by a woman. Right. Who, is, I, I can't remember who directed Ginger Snaps. Uh, it was co-written by a woman, but it wasn't it directed by John Fawcett. Oh uh, yeah. 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 No. Uh, I just want more more female writers, non-binary writers, uh, LGBTQ writers writing about female werewolves and other type non-male werewolves. Um, also Minotaurs. I mentioned Minotaurs take a cigarette break, which is very – you should read that, Bria, because it's very much like what you were talking about. It's this like Minotaur, but he just like lives a normal life. He wor- He's like a fry cook at a restaurant. He like has this crush on this girl. You know, he's just like has a, is trying to live a normal life as a Minotaur. 
Um, it's it's really really good. I just love Minotaur so much. I think they're super cool. I also, any, any kind of Minotaur labyrinth books, um, but with a humanizing of the Minotaur, I will read. Uh, I just think there should be more of them. You know, our accents make us say that word differently. What do you, how do you say Minotaur? Oh, I say Minotaur. Hmm. Yeah, but I think it's, it's always so tough whenever we pronounce things on this show because you are from Texas and I'm from Boston, so like we're on the extreme ends of the spectrum when it comes to <laughs> American accents. That's true. Uh, well, however you say Minotaur, we should we need more of them. You can send your thoughts to Reading Glasses Podcast at gmail dot com. We'd love to hear what your favorite monster is and uh, your favorite monster books. Before we interview author Cadwell Turnbull, we're gonna take a quick break. Reading Glasses is sponsored in part this week by Dipsy. Everyone needs an escape, but those can be hard to come by. Enter Dipsy. Let yourself get lost in a world where good things happen and where your pleasure is the only priority. So what is Dipsy? Sounds amazing, but what is it? Dipsy is an audio app that you can have right on your phone. It's full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. So it's like an audiobook app, but sexy and short. I mean, they're they're all like... Uh, between you know five minutes half an hour long they're really really conveniently sized for just like listening to before you go to bed just like it's just like the perfect short story length Uh, and you can listen to all kinds of different stories the reason why Bria and I love Dipsy is that you can basically search by your sexy wheelhouse which is awesome like if you want a story with someone uh, someone narrating it with a sexy accent or you want a story about like hooking up with a hometown crush or someone hooking up with a co-worker that they always had a thing for uh, it's pretty freaking cool we know that there's a lot of listeners to reading glasses who love romance who love erotica if you're looking for something where you can literally just browse by by your sexy wheelhouse Dipsy is perfect for you. And it doesn't always have to be super sexy. Uh, If you want to wind down, Dipsy has wellness sessions. They have um, soundscapes to help you relax. If you do want sexy before bed, they do have sensual bedtime stories. It's just absolutely fantastic. If you're a fan of erotica and romance, or it's something you want to get into, this is the perfect thing to get. Uh, It's the interface is really easy to use. It's really designed with uh, romance and erotica readers in mind. And for the glassers, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com glasses. So you can try this for a month for free. Think about it. That's a lot of sexy stories that you could fit into a month. That's a lot of sexy scientists, sexy construction workers, sexy firefighters, Sexy, whatever you want. So that's dipsystories.com, D-I-P-S-E-A, stories.com slash glasses. That's dipsystories.com slash glasses for a full month of free sexiness. Glasses. Hi, I'm Biz. And I'm Teresa. And we're the hosts of One Bad Mother, a podcast about parenting. Parenting is hard, and we have no advice but we do see you doing it. Honk if you like to do it. (laughs) Didn't we have a bumper sticker a while back that was like, honk if you did it. That's what it was. I think it was honk if you're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Why did we not ever make those? Those We did make them. I think they're still in the Max Fun store. (laughs) Honk, honk, you're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Biz. So are you. Each week, we'll be here to remind you that you're doing a good job. You can find us on MaximumFun.org. Hong Kong. Toot toot. 
So here we are with Cadwell Turnbull, author of No Gods, No Monsters and The Lesson. How's it going? Hey, how you doing? Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, what are you reading right now? Ooh, what am I reading right now? Um, a lot of, you know, student stories. I've been um, teaching an MFA workshop, so that's been on the front of my desk. Um, also reading um, The Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula Le Guin um, right now, reading it again. Nice. Um, also reading some some um, stories from her collection of novellas, The Found and the Lost. What else am I reading? Um, just finished reading um, a book from the Rakshara um, series from Martha Wells. Okay. Also reading some Murderbot. So, you know, all over the place. You're reading a lot, a lot of different yeah. stuff. <laughs> uh, so can you tell us a little bit about your new book, No Gods, No Monsters? Yes. Um, so No Gods, No Monsters is, um, the way I talk about it is it's a, uh, it's a sort of reimagining of the civil rights era in the modern day and with monsters. Um, it takes place over um, a year and it explores several different characters and how they respond to the revelation that monsters are real and exist in the world and are coming out of the shadows. There's some other stuff in there as well, but um, that is the basic premise. And um, yeah, it's a, uh, the, you know, if we're talking about genre, it's like urban fantasy that is, you know, a bit philosophical and also a bit political. Well, I loved it. I loved all the different perspectives. I thought it was just an amazing read. People should definitely pick it up. Um, there's so many things that felt very timely in your book. There's, uh, you, you have um, shooting a shooting at the beginning. You have politics. You have... Um, protests and and you really even have um something that i think we've seen a lot of in the last year which is this political division um in america and in the world um did you write this i mean obviously yeah the, the civil rights movement but did you write this during covid did you write it as a reaction to all of the stuff with covid or did you just sort of predict the future about what was going to happen because i feel like <laughs> i've seen like there's a lot of stuff in your book that is happening right now minus right. The monster, minus the monsters obviously yeah, I mean, I, I started I started working on the project before COVID and I outlined the project before COVID, um, but I was working on it as COVID was happening. I was revising it as COVID was happening. I was pretty much, for the most part, um, nearing, you know, my first, um, the finishing of my first draft by the time the pandemic started. Um, and yeah, it just, it's just, it's strange. I, I didn't, I didn't plan for all of these connections to be so salient. I, those things have been on my mind. Um, there's a police, you know, an officer involved shooting at the beginning of the book. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've, you know, has been on my mind for a while. It It's on the minds of a lot of Black people. And um, it's just, you know, when I was thinking about, well, how would monsters come out? And in this case, you know, werewolf, what might that look like what would be the the situation for which that might happen you know especially if it's a um, a monster from a marginalized background and it seemed like a you know um an intuitive fit i just um kind of made that decision early on and then as i was working on the book it kind of evolved from there and it became this peeling back of that moment and also the relationships that 
um, led up to that moment, all of the things that is happening under the surface of the book that leads to this, um, this revelation and what comes after. Um, the stuff with the, you know, I'm, I'm figuring you mean when you ask about the pandemic, the, the way that, you know, people, you know, different groups of people have responded to the pandemic, the amount of um, belief they attribute to what um, what is happening. Mm-hmm. You know, some people are very disbelieving of um, that this pandemic is a serious threat and this has remained so despite all of the, um, the illnesses and death. And in the book, it... Um, when I was imagining, you know, monsters coming out, it seemed like it made sense to me that some people would have um, a disbelieving attitude to that fact, and it would be pretty easy for them to discount it, um, and that some people would believe it, that the world would be split on the matter. And I was initially concerned that people would not find that believable. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like... If, if this happens, um, wouldn't people just immediately believe it, you know? And would would you be able to cover it up in a sufficient enough way that people would start to doubt their own memory of what happened? And then, you know, the pandemic happened and it, it seemed like um, I didn't have to worry about that particular um, concern anymore. Um, there's a lot of evidence in the, in the real world. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, you really mirrored that in a way that, that, yeah, the whole time I was reading, I was like, oh, yes, exactly what's what's happening right now. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, so our listeners love books with secret organizations, and uh, they would be angry with me if I didn't ask about the secret societies in your book <laughs> and how you crafted them and came up with them, um, because you have multiple secret societies going in this book. Right. Um, yeah, that, that process was... Um sort of organic. When I was working on the book, I started doing a bit of research into secret organizations. And, you know, as I was doing some reading, it it seemed pretty clear um, that, you know, these histories for secret organizations have like really interesting twists and turns. And there's also these strange, you know, points of connection. There's a character in the book called Six Alfred Nine that, you know, traces the the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn all the way to Scientology. And it's not a difficult thing to do. And, you know, a lot of secret organizations have um, either similar roots or have been influenced by each other over time and they split apart and they form new organizations. And so um, it seemed like it was a, you know, a good way to explore why monsters would be hidden um, it, it seemed like the logical reason that they would be able to hide so well. And I, you know, you know, as I was reading and I was seeing all of these kind of like branching relationships and hard to pin down details, it, it, um, it occurred to me that this would be exactly how it would feel to someone discovering that monsters are real and trying to figure out where they came from or how they were hidden for so long it would seem like really hard to and difficult to understand and triangulate. Mm-hmm. And so that became a part of the book. Um, yeah, the in the novel, there's two major secret societies. One, one of them is, you know, a benevolent one to an extent, and the other one is a malevolent one, and there's, there's a conflict between them. And um, that was also really fun to do, but it's it's very, very obscured. A lot of the characters in the book have no idea what's going on. And that's part of like um, 
their struggle in the book, trying to understand who are who the players are and where their roles lie within the events of the book. And um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I even read some um, academic articles about secret societies. There's an academic um, out of the UK that does um, research into social organizations generally, and he became an influence for one of my characters. Mm. And one of the things he looks at is um, he looks at cooperatives, which was also a, an important aspect of the book, but he mm. also looks at um, secret organizations of different kinds, um, you know, terrorist organizations for one, criminal organizations, and then, you know, secret fraternities, secret organizations, uh, religious orders, all of these different kinds of um, difficult to pin down groups where they are, you know, a big part of their appeal is their secrecy. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I, I loved what you included about cooperatives as well. And also there was, there's a lot of science in this book. At one point I looked you up to be like, is this, does this guy have like a, a science background? Like how do you, <laughs> like there's a lot of research put into this book. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, some of that was, you know, I've been thinking about and working on this for a long time. Parts of it was within the last couple of years, but some of it was, you know, has been kicking around in my brain for several years now. And, you know, mostly it came out of reading and then some of it came out of having conversations with people that know this sort of thing. I would not, you know, I would not consider myself a scientist at all or, or have the ability to, um, to explain this in an actual conversation. I just did a lot of research and talked to a lot of people. Well, I, I believed it. I thought it was great. Um, appreciate that. So this episode is all about monsters. If you had to pick a type of monster you never get tired of reading about or writing about or anything, um, is, is there one? What, what would that be? Ooh, um, yeah, I mean, all of them. I mean, okay, so, <laughs> so I, you know, I was a huge fan growing up of um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and gotcha. so that was my way into, um, you know, really liking vampires and being into vampires. And, you know, the thing that I really find fascinating about vampires is the immortality part of it. You know, you know, what would, what would a person be like if they lived forever? Um, and then, you know, I watched Interview with the Vampire, you know, the adaptation of Anne Rice's novel. And I read some of Anne Rice's um, vampire novels and th those were um, also very um, inspirational. You know, I really, you know, got a lot out of, you know, Anne Rice's treatment of the vampires, this, you know, this kind of person existing through the ages and dealing with existential boredom, you know, and what, what that feels like, you know, you know, for, for someone like that. And, and so I, I tend to like vampires a lot. Lately, I've, you know, gotten a lot more into shifters and, you know, people that, you know, witches, people that use magic, um, and, and, you know, it's been, you know, fairly recently I've also gotten into like some of the, the monsters and creatures from my Caribbean background. Like I grew up in the Virgin Islands and there's, there's a bunch of monsters within our folklore that are really fascinating. And some of them have like, they're like interesting deviations from some of the things we might recognize. So like, um, the Sukuyant, which makes an appearance in the book is kind of sort of like a vampire and a selkie they're like 
it's like a you know um for someone outside of the caribbean context it it looks like a hybrid monster mm-hmm. um but growing up it was one of those um those stories that you know my my older cousins or you know my aunt would you know tell me to scare me um and so i've been getting into that lately um yeah yeah i love that um okay what is your reader wheelhouse which we sort of define as like um a like uh, a subject or a trope or a theme that will always make you pick up a book like you see something you're like i'm gonna read that no matter what the book is Oh, very good question. So I get, um, I, I tend to really like urban fantasy stuff, um, magic existing next to or within our world is really um, fascinating to me and how different authors treat that as a, as a trope. Um, I really love aliens, any, anything with aliens in it, you know, that, that was the subject of my first novel, The Lesson, um, time travel. I'm a huge fan of time travel um, in fiction and in media. Um, one of my favorite TV shows of um, recent memory was Dark, mm. um, which is um, it's a German language show. It is extremely complex and um, you have to you have to pay attention. It's one of the things that I love in, in media when when something is doing a lot of things and you're you have to decipher it. It's um, mm-hmm. it's also time travel. So it's wonky. And it's it's it's. Um, extremely confusing at times how the time travel is working which is fun um parallel universes um i feel like i'm listing all of the tropes no those are good tropes those are great things (laughs) right i'll stop there no i love i think those are great um okay what is the best place to get your book and people should also pick up the lesson because it's another amazing book. And I also love aliens stuff. And you did something completely new with that book when it came to aliens. I think it just like completely broke ground on something. I had never seen that before. So where can people buy these books? Cause they should go get them. Yeah. I mean, um, so my publisher is Blackstone Publishing. You can get it straight from the website if you choose. Um, I I tend to direct people to their um, their local independent bookstore. Um, Bookshop is a place that you can go online that you know um, and get it, um, and you can get it through your independent bookstore through Bookshop, um, IndieBound, um, and I also you know. I'm a huge fan of audiobooks, and I tend to direct people to getting the audiobook. Like I, I thought that the um the narrators for the lesson did a really good job. That was um Janina Edwards and Ron Butler. Um they did a fantastic job on the book and I would recommend you checking it out. I feel like it elevates the book in a lot of ways. It made me like my own words more. Um <laughs> and then, you know, with No Gods, No Monsters, um, it's narrated by Dion Graham. And he is he's an amazing award winning narrator. He um, put a lot of love and energy into the book. Um, he came to me with like a ton of really great questions. He like he was like, "I have questions for you," and then he like listed <laughs> them all out. And it was um, and since then we've been you know talking about you know the book and you know thoughts that have come to him after the fact occasionally, which was really fun. He would he would um, call me up and he would be like, "Here's what I'm thinking for this character," and so this is a kind of dedication. I'm talking wow. about, and he's um, he really poured his all his um all his talent into this thing, and you know I would point people in that direction 
And if you want to get the audiobook, you know, I recommend Libro FM, which is the, um, you know, you can also get the audiobook through your independent bookstore through that platform. Um, yeah. And then cool. also, I'll, I'll just add this I write short fiction. And if you are interested in short fiction, you can go to my website, catalotermo.com, um, and check out some of my short work. Oh, great. Yeah. We will link to that in the show notes. And one more question. Um, there's another, you're, you're writing more of these books, right? There's going to be more to No Gods, No Monsters? Yes. Um, yeah, this is the first book in the Convergence Saga. And, you know, I tried to, you know, when we're thinking about the name of the, the series, we, you know, we try to think about, well, what would prepare people for what they're getting into? Because No Gods, No Monsters is, um, is there's a lot going on. I, I'll put it that way. And, um, you know, there's a lot of various threads coming together. And we, you know, we thought that this would prepare people for the kind of story that I'm, you know, I'm trying to tell. Um, it's going to be three books. Um, the story is going to be, you know, told over those three books and more and more connections between characters and will be made over those over the series and more mysteries will be revealed. Yay. Good girl. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Time to solve a bookish problem from one of our listeners. Jonathan writes in, um, so here's my here's my problem that starts off sounding like a great thing because it, it ultimately is a great problem. My almost three-year-old loves being read to. He will ask any adult who comes into the house to read to him and would be content bringing us books for hours. His favorite question is why, but a close second is would you like to read would you like to read this to me? In a few years his natural desire will hopefully translate into him reading to himself. His mom and I just don't have it in us to read continuously for hours on end. We've been trying read-along books and he loves them. Read-alongs are pictures books with narration like how they would read books on reading rainbow we've been using overdrive but the system isn't easy to navigate and often the narration doesn't start or will stop halfway through it doesn't look like nibby it doesn't look like libby supports read-alongs there is a paid application called epic that does read-alongs really well when our free trial is over we are definitely going to subscribe there do you have any other suggestions for reading to toddlers without mom and dad having to do all the reading Okay, my suggestion is go get a time machine. <laughs> go back to fast forward your child. Go back to the eighties and get a thing called a Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> oh my god, I remember we were so obsessed with this. Uh, Teddy Ruxpin. Teddy Ruxpin did read along. High point of my childhood. Uh, we reached out to some people, and we will we will get back to you. I'll I'll see if any of uh, my friends respond. But Mallory found something that I think is worth sharing. Yeah, so I found this really cool thing. There are some drawbacks to it, but I think it might totally solve uh, this family's problem. Uh, it's called Yodo, Y-O-T-O. It's basically an audiobook player, although it can act, act as like just like a uh, Bluetooth speaker, but it's specifically made for children to use. It's this little speaker with like big knobs and a little slot at the top. In the slot, you or your kid can put a card that has an audiobook on it. And once it's in, the story starts um, and it just like reads the story to your kid. Um, and if the kid takes it, like if, if your child is very young, like this child is and like wants to play around with it and takes the card out and then sticks it back in, the story just starts right where it left off. It doesn't start all over again, which is really cool. And it's a little expensive. It's a hundred bucks. Um, and the, the bi I think the biggest drawback uh, is that like you have to buy the cards, like they're proprietary 
uh, technology, and they're about the price of an ebook. They range. I know they have sales, so they range. You know, from like three dollars to fifteen dollars or whatever. You know, it's exactly the price of an ebook. And you buy these. The cards are like the size of size of a trading card, and uh, they each have like a book on them. Um, but the thing that's really cool is they have a huge age range for kids, and they have a bunch of cards for one to five years old. Oh, good. Um, and they do sell bundles of them with like multiple, a bunch of different cards. Like you can buy a pack of cards and they'll all have different things on there. Um, and I think it would be, even though it's kind of expensive and again, you have to buy the cards. Um, I think it would be great for this family because it can be totally operated by a kid. Hmm. Like, so if a kid wants to listen to a story, he can put one in himself. He doesn't have to bother you and he can just like hang out in his room or his playpen or whatever and just like pop cars in whenever he wants and you maybe you could um get the hard copy of the book from the library or buy it and he can follow along um i think this is something that it especially for this kid in particular who is this kid's definitely a future glasser oh, i mean sure. this is a reader he's a book sniffer on the horizon <laughs> for sure this kid is awesome um but i really think it solves all the things of like wanting to read whenever he wants, being able to read over and over again without his poor parents, like, losing their voices because they've read, I don't even know what, what books kids read now, um, Goodnight Moon, you know, 15,000 times. I really think this is um, this is a solution. If anyone's ever used a Yodo, please let us know. I'm very interested in this. But I they if you go on their website, I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, like, they have, it's very fancy. It's yeah, like, it's they cute. Have a, I'm looking at it right now. It's so cute. Yeah, I think uh, I think it solves the problem. Okay, so Teresa Thorne, who is the co-host of one of our fellow Maximum Fun podcasts, uh, One Bed Mother, which you should absolutely be listening to if you are a parent. Uh, it's an incredible podcast. Um, but so Teresa wrote back to say, it sounds like these parents are doing a great job finding resources already. Another app kind of like Epic is called Raz Kids. They may want to check that out. My kids have used it for school slash reading during COVID and it's pretty great. Also, they can go to their public library and ask about Wonder Books. And we're going to put links to all these in the show notes, no worries. Which I only know about because they happen to be making a Wonder Book version of my book, It Feels Good to Be Yourself. Listeners, another book that you should check out. If their library isn't already making Wonder Books available to patrons, maybe they can request it. In our house, we sometimes do a FaceTime story hour, or 20 minutes, with my mom who lives a few hours away. My kids' cousins join them from their house too, which makes it a kind of fun social thing and a way to connect with grandma when we can't see her in person. The kids request a book and my mom brings something from her library to share. I know not everyone has extended family willing to do remote story time, but that's another possible option. If I think of anything else, I'll let you know. Thanks, Teresa. Uh, so if you want us to solve your reader problem or answer your bookish question, you can send it to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank the wonderful mods who are on our Facebook group and Chrissy and Rachel who moderate our Goodreads page. Remember, if you want to get some cool stuff and show off your bookishness and support Bria and I and help us feed our cats, you can get totes and shirts and stickers and mugs and pillows and coasters and all kinds of really cool stuff in our store that is a collaboration with our friends over at Void Merch. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. Uh, and if you like the show and you don't want to spend any money, but you do want to support us and do something nice for us that will help us get money uh, and more listeners, you can rate and review us on iTunes. It's absolutely great for us. Advertisers literally look at it and go, wow, this show has a ton of reviews. Uh, people must really like it. Maybe I should sponsor them. And that's how uh, we feed our cats sometimes. It's awesome. And birthday, do birthday, the birthday of the dog. 
Uh, you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Reading G Podcast, on Instagram at Reading Glasses Podcast. Thanks for listening and thanks, thanks for, for reading. reading.